Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. This episode is part of a longer interview I conducted with Jamak Degani, who's the founder of the Data Mesh Concept and is sponsored by her, her company, her startup, Next Data. The goal of these conversations is to dig deeper into specific topics rather than skimming the surface and really discuss Schmack's view of the now and the future of Data Mesh. What is possible now? What can we do to set ourselves up for success in the, in the future? And what is our ideal picture in that future once we have the ways of working and the tooling more figured out? Hopefully, you get some great insights as well as seeing the other side of the funny and wonderful person behind the Data Mesh paradigm. Please do follow Jamak as well for more interesting insights to keep an eye out on what she is working on. I think you'll be very interested and exciting. Now, up next, I'll give a bit of my summary of the episode, so you might focus on a few of the nuanced points that Jamak makes. Sometimes she says some things that are kind of like a picture, right? Worth a thousand words in and of themselves, even when she says one sentence. So with that, uh, let's go ahead and hear some fun music, and then we'll get into that summary. Corner number 10, blazing trails, not blazing saddles, setting yourself up for success. A kind of uh, subtitle or whatever for this episode could be making the most of what we have and preventing chaos now, right? In this third part of a longer conversation I had with Schmack, we talked about what can we do now with what we have for data mesh. People want to move, not just sit on the sidelines and wait for the tools to evolve. We kind of have to get headed there as well to put pressure on people to create the new tools. The Blazing Saddles uh, part of the title is about not making this kind of a farce, not making this a comedy, right? That we want to head out there, but (laughs) not kind of making fools of ourselves. So getting started, we can start to shift in anticipation of tooling getting better. We can set ourselves up so that Our current position isn't light years ahead, but when tools actually do start to emerge, then we can make that kind of hypersonic jump, that we can make a big leap. It's not that all of your challenges are going to be solved if you set yourself up to be able to move away from that kind of pipeline approach and and all the things that Jamak has talked about, but you can set yourself up so that when (laughs) those capabilities are out there, uh, more that that you don't have to build everything from scratch. You can make the the jump to value much quicker. So we can learn from what happened in the API revolution. And and you know she also really really hits on not compromising on interoperability. That's a big big no no where you're you're just headed for at best high quality data silos, which isn't a great outcome. We need to get to a place with data where consumers have a delightful experience going from discover to learn to trust to use with very little friction. And as a quick note before we jump in, 
Schmack is hiring for her startup. So check the, the community Slack, the jobs channel for more info on that. So with that all said as the intro, let's hear more from Jamak herself. Okay, with that shortest summary of the episode done, let's go ahead and get to actually hearing from the woman herself, Jamak Degani. So those data product and developers are working alongside their, you know, um, application and system developers, and they're working more collaboratively within the domain than across the domains, right? Because collaboration is really a high friction, expensive exercise, um, as opposed to saying, I'll provide my data product now as a service, essentially for other people to come and self-serve use it. That's a low friction kind of um, a mode of interaction. So they have a more collaborative mode of interactions with their um, application counterparts because they have to agree uh, with a more like, a tighter level of uh, coupling how that internal e-commerce database data is going to be externalized as analytical. Everyone come and use, get a view of this data as data products. So that, that person, when she wakes up and say, oh, you know, I'm responsible for... Um, metrics around the e-commerce system and we're just exposing that as a data product uh, and I want to make sure this metric's probably going to the right direction. I want to work closely with my um, with my you know co-domain like my domain developers, application developers make sure they have the right instrumentation and that's what she cares about. She cares about what metrics am I exposing and who's going to use it and how they're going to use it. Am I um, providing the right level of integrity and completeness that my data users need. Uh, she doesn't wake up in the morning and say, oh, how can I optimize this particular screen on e-commerce so that the end user, that's that's the e-commerce app dev, but they're very closely working together. So, and that, so that's a macro context of this data product developers. Yeah, okay. I think that makes a lot of sense. And then we were looking at kind of talking about, you know, in an organization, People want to get moving now. So what can we put in front of them for the now? What 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 is that delightful experience eventually for those data product developers, but those kind of um, brave few that are out there that are um, early in this, is there, like, how do you think about evolving that experience, you know, especially the learnings that you've taken from the microservices world where, you know, it was kind of the Wild West and we want to prevent that Wild West as much as possible where we have either too restrictive or too just kind of random of, of everybody doing absolutely everything. And, and maybe we do want that random to kind of test, but people don't really want to be the guinea pigs themselves. So, yeah. like. How do you think about putting something in front of them for the now? And then what do you think about kind of in the longer run as to what is the tooling that these people need? Yeah, I mean, we have to think about it on that curve of 
adoption of a new technology, right? So these developers now are going to be at this point in time representative of your kind of lead innovator adopters perhaps. And they're more tolerant of, um, you know, technologies that are not perfect in terms of their experience and they're not as maybe the most intuitive and they would require a bit of metal work that is not necessarily the work where um, they, they can directly add value uh, to, to the outcome of that data product. So they're, they're a bit more tolerant and that's where we get started, right? We get started with a more primitive experience of building data, data products and a primitive experience involves more specialization that you would likely want these people have because at this point in time what you're exposing to them if you had nothing if you had invested in no data mesh kind of oriented solutions what are you exposing to them you're exposing to them the tools that they would use to build pipelines right it's the same set of technologies but they have to now kind of integrate it around the new new concept data product what you don't want to compromise, even if you compromise right now on the experience and they give them more low-level tooling that they need and they require, hence, more specialization, what you don't want to compromise is an experimentation to um, create interoperability. I mean, interoperability is something you don't want to compromise on. So if you can you know, leave the implementation of the data products be kind of messy and you know, use direct technologies like I don't know, your SQL engines and your existing lake storage or delta lake storage, and that, that's all okay, but it's you really want to define those what's what gets exchanged across the boundary of data products. What are those interfaces look like? Um, that's where I would invest in to um, establish some level of harmony, right? The, and you're right, and that, that avoids that rigidness, like too early being too rigid, because we still don't know what that big space experience looks like. Um, but if we, and, and you don't want it to be wild, wild west, right? That everyone does its own thing. And once you want to connect three data products together, you have to have this massive overhead later on. Um, and when it comes to, okay, what is, what is the interoperability? Like, how do we create these interoperable APIs? And is there a technology? Can I just go and buy? Um, I don't think so. I think what has really happened in reality, which is an unfortunate event, is that people start centralizing on a, on a storage, on a warehouse and, and that leads to kind of building data products on top of those so that they can get interoperability, right? So we're back to the square one of not trying to centralize everything, but in the interim, the, the fastest implementations of data mesh or data mesh flavored, I guess, implementations are around, okay, we're going to all standardize on using tech X. And with that comes some level of interoperability, right? Yeah. Do you think uh, like... I've I've talked a little bit about this of the SCAE, which is Scott's confusing ass equation, which tries to measure the incremental value of you know new data quanta, right? The inherent business value you've you've talked about every data quanta in and of itself should have a, a you know inherent value. It shouldn't just be a bridging solution. It shouldn't just be something that is feeding, um, but like. When we think about that interoperability, you're talking about it on the technical level. People are interoperability on other aspects. You know, uh, we, we can get into taxonomies a little bit <laughs> later, but like, 
when people are thinking about that interoperability, people are thinking about, I need to standardize on my way of, of storing all of my events first. And I need to create these 10 different standards internally. And that's been a blocking factor for a lot of people. And if you don't create a way to create that interoperability, even if it's a little bit janky as you're moving things around and you're kind of refactoring your data products, um, if you don't do that, then it does just become these data silos and they're high value data silos, but you're missing out on that one plus one equals three, or, you know, when you think about adding up to 200 ones and it becomes 2000 because they're all interoperable and that interoperability creates this massive additional amount of value. I mean, do we think right now that because we don't have these standardized ways of doing good data APIs and or analytical APIs, I guess, if, if we want to be kind of more specific, is it that we kind of have to wait for the technology or people have to build the technology themselves to do decent interoperability or do they just have to standardize on one thing or? I think we can, uh, we can certainly get started and we've done this. Like, so in one of our implementations and, and the, you know, we used the concepts of data mesh, like different types of output ports and standardizing your output ports. So we didn't have higher order APIs that I like to have, to be honest, which is, you know, I can just write data product name dot, um, you know, connect and then get all the metadata about it and then decide which port I want to use and then use data product name dot port name dot, you know, um, subscribe with a query that I pass. Like this is like really high level, nice, basic APIs that allows you to go through the experience of discover, learn, trust, use, right? And they use in streaming fashion or pulling fashion or, you know, that push or pull, depending on how, how you want to interact. Like those higher order APIs don't exist. And I think, yes, for to, to create those, that takes a fair bit of investment. And, and even then, there are some really hard problems to solve um, across platforms, because like, for example, identity system and authorization, just they're not standard, right? That's That's a basic standardization that we had to solve with APIs and, you know, OpenID Connect and OAuth and all of that. Back in the day when we started building APIs, we learned very quickly that's the first thing we have to solve, which we haven't solved in the data space. But even in the absence of that, you can still, you know, it's unfortunate. It's it's not any worse than what we do today, but you can standardize on um, every type of port that you have to expose the data um using SQL, TransSQL endpoint, or using any of the fi open file formats that exist as Arrow, par Parquet, whatever format it is. So these are not ideal ways of sharing data because you're still sharing raw data and they're fairly fragile. You have no way of um, you know, intercepting what the user wants and what you actually want to expose. Um, but it's any, not any worse than where we are today. So we are basically using technology that exists and we're using open technology. So if you choose to go to some other you know, vendor, that's, there's a level of freedom. Um, is it ideal? No, but is it doable? Yes. So thanks again to Jamak. As a reminder, please check out her startup, Next Data. There's more information about it in the show notes. They're doing some pretty amazing things. She's hiring lots of folks looking to partner with others and just kind of check it out. 
As for me, please do follow up with me as well. I'm pretty easy to find. I'd love to chat data mesh or anything kind of in the data realm. Check out datameshunderstanding.com for more information, some useful resources and things as well. And Jamak and I both wish you an excellent rest of your day. Now with that, let's cue that inspiring outro music.